You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. This passage together, it's in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10 and ending in verse 14. Paul says this, obviously the author of this book is Paul. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Let's open up in prayer this morning, but let's, let's remember Joe and Christy. You know, Joe and Christy are both not doing very well. And so I want to lift them up this morning. And, and uh, Joe, when you watch this uh, sometime either today or next week, we just want to say that we really miss you today and we love you and, and we want you to get better. Let's also ask for God to send his spirit this morning to do what he wants to do and overrule anything that we should not be doing. So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful today for this, really this short passage of scripture, and yet, Father, it, it contains so many different principles that we can learn about today. And so I ask that you would send uh, the guiding, your guiding spirit to direct all that we, that we do, everything that I say. And Father, I lift up our Pastor Joe and his wife Christy. Father, they have been through some uh, physical things this week and in the last season. Father, just encourage them, uh, heal their bodies, I pray. Bring them back to us soon. We thank you, Lord, for their service and just ask you to give them a great day of rest today. Thank you now for this message that hopefully, Lord, we can use and help us to be a little bit stronger in our Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in Philippians chapter 4, the end of the book, basically, we find a man, Paul, who sits in prison, falsely accused, maybe even, maybe even facing execution, and he tells us, in that environment where he is at, he tells us how to find contentment. Now, does that seem rather ironic to you? So contentment is something that is not, is not necessarily just a feeling. Contentment is more of, a, of an attitude. It's more of an environment that we live in where things that happen to us, be they good, be they bad, be they minor, be they major, they don't affect that aspect of our Christian life, the idea of being content, Okay. Verse 11 is the verse that I really want to concentrate on today. And it's interesting just to concentrate on one verse, I know, but the theme of this whole passage that we just read is 11. And he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. He's in prison for crying out loud. He's possibly on death row. Probably doesn't get very good food or care. He says, not that I... I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned 
in whatever situation I am in to be content. Contentment is something that for 2020, I think most of us would like to participate in. We would like to be, and hopefully we already are, content and contented in our Christian life. If you don't know him, then contentment will never be possible until you do. But when you turn your life over to him and when everything, when everything falls on his shoulders, then all of a sudden we have this sense of who we are and that we are contented. I remember an advertisement back in Washington where we came from. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It was an advertisement for a dairy. I don't know if the dairy was Dairy Gold. I can't remember the name of the dairy. But they, had, they advertised on TV, and they always talked about how good their milk was, and how good their milk was because they, that milk came from contented cows. <laughs> I, I, I want to be, a, I think of a contented cow, I don't know about you, but you know the rolling hills back in Washington, it's all green and there's lots of grass, lots of things to eat. It's a very interesting and good place to have a dairy because you don't need to hay them all year round. They have massive pastures that they can roam around and live their lives in a contented manner. Right? Now, whether or not that affects milk or not, I have no idea. But the advertisement says that they, their milk is good because their cows are contented. Now, I want, I want to be a contented cow. I don't want to look like a contented cow, but I want to be one, right? So contentment is something that's rather elusive sometimes, and we're going to concentrate on that. Paul is writing a, right here in this portion of Scripture... <clears throat> he is writing like a, a, a small thank you note right in the middle of his letter. And his thank you note is that those, somebody, the church in Philippi, those who, who, who cared for him, gave him something. They sent him a gift. He, they, weren't, they didn't always have the opportunity to do it, but when they did have the opportunity to do it, they did it. Now, that, I'm not sure that was in the form of money. Probably, I, what good would money do somebody in prison? I have no idea. But they sent something that refreshed Paul in such a way. But he is going to teach us how to be on both sides of the fence. In other words, there are times when you have the ability to give to people, right? To give money to an organization, to, to help your next-door neighbor, to respond to some a cry of a need that is out there that you might have the ability to meet. And praise God if you do have that ability. But there are other times when you might be on the other side of the fence. And how many of you have been on that? I mean, how many of you have been on both sides of the fence when it comes to giving and receiving? <clears throat> I would think all of us have. But Paul is going to tell us how, how we find contentment then not happiness. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness comes and goes. But contentment stays. Contentment is a, is a, it's just a trait that we can celebrate and, and live with and for. So he was thanking them for their generosity. But at the same time, he said, not that I'm speaking of being in need. In other words, what is he doing there? He's giving us an absolutely perfect balance between how a person or a, or a group of people is to give to someone, and yet how the one who is receiving that gift, how he or she is supposed to respond. 
and not, and not in any way steal the blessing that should come for both, right? It's a blessing to give. Do you agree? It's fun to give. It's not just commanded to give, which it is, but it's fun. A cheerful giver, Paul says in another passage. Be a cheerful giver, a happy giver. <clears throat> so at the same time, he, wanted, he, want, he was thankful for the gift, but at the same time, he wanted to know that, the, that not only did he love the gift, but at the same time, he reminded them of the fact that even before that gift came, he was content. And that's important to understand. He is content in a situation that you and I would not want to be in ourselves. We would not want to be in prison or alone in some room or alone somewhere where nobody was around. You don't think we would, we would think at that time that we would have a need of some sort? And yet Paul is saying, I, my need is something that even a gift of a million dollars could never solve. So he had found something that he wanted to share with us. So before we, we dive into that further, what do you think commit contentment is? <laughs> How would you define it? The Greek word literally speaks of, of a, a word of self-sufficiency and independence. That's the background of the word. But we know full well as believers that we are in no way self-sufficient. We are in no way independent as far as total control of our life, right? We are not in control of a lot of things. In fact, we willingly <clears throat> submit to God who is in control of everything. So what is he? He's taken that word, that word that's only used a couple more times in the New Testament, to talk about his feeling, not his feeling, but his attitude of contentment. Paul wants them to know that while he rejoiced, he rejoiced greatly in the receiving of the gift, he rejoiced more because of the love they had for him. That's almost miraculous when you think about it. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in, to be content. <laughs> what a year it's been, don't you think? It's been an interesting year that we've had to live through. I'm sure you've had to live through interesting things in your own personal life. <clears throat> we've had to live through some amazing things in our country's life. And so there's, there's things that, that constantly remind us of our inability to totally control our environment. So a good definition of contentment is this. If you want to jot something down to talk about in GCs or tomorrow and then Wednesday, definition is an inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that he is in control of all that happens to us. <clears throat> Let me say it again. Contentment is inner, the inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that He is in control of all that happens to us. 
So, for example, if God this year blessed you, and or through maybe in years past, you have had an opportunity to have been blessed financially for some reason. You have been able to save a lot of money. You've been able to have a job that pays you well. You've won the lottery. I don't. That probably didn't happen to anybody here, but financially, you were able to not only take care of yourself, but you were also able to take care of someone else. And you can take care, obviously, as a family, you take care of those that you love, those that are in your home, those that you care for, that you've been given total responsibility for. But you also have an obligation that the more, like Jesus says, the more you have, the more you're responsible for. So uh, be careful to pray for riches. Because if, if those come, what is our responsibility for those riches? To just hoard them, save them, put them away for a rainy day, whatever it is? Or are we to be more open, more flexible, more willing to reach out and share some of that with somebody else? Now, I'm not talking about government socialism. I'm talking about the fact that as believers, we have a responsibility to do something with what God gives us. And that varies all around the world, what people have. So God's blessings, in a sense, are a bonus. Okay. Serving God can be, can be easy. It can be difficult. Serving God can sometimes be discouraging, and it can be very encouraging. It can be full of blessing, and sometimes it can be tiring. But some of the side effects of being a believer are amazing. And those blessings, consider them a bonus. I don't know how many of you got a bonus for Christmas at work. Nice if you get one. But blessings are a bonus that we have an opportunity not to just get, but to give. So, the first point I really want to stress today is contentment flows from submitting to the sovereignty of God. Now, that's a a rather theological statement, I know, but to submit to the, to the sovereignty of God. What does it mean that God is sovereign? God is, nothing catches God by surprise. God is in, in control of everything. And if you believe that and take that as far as a human can take it, which is only so far, it's reassuring to know that nothing that happens to us is any kind of a surprise whatsoever to where God says, oh my gosh, now what am I going to do? What just happened to one of my children? I have no idea how to fix this. That's not God. We are to submit to the fact that he is sovereign. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, in verse 10. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. <clears throat> in other words, they had a concern for him at one time, and they had no ability to help him. And until God stepped in and gave them the ability, gave them something that they had the ability to give, that's when they responded and gave to Paul. So they worked hard. You know, being content doesn't mean that we stop working or that we stop trying to improve ourselves. In fact, the opposite of contentment is complacency. And I don't know about you, but complacency is a very damaging and dangerous place to be. Because complacent means that we are refusing at all to work to improve any situation in our life. 
basically I could care less sort of an attitude. Complacency is dangerous. But these, these people <clears throat> that gave to him, in their contentment they gave. They were not complacent. They weren't smug. They weren't unconcerned about the needs of others. They were not unconcerned about things that happened around them. And it's so easy to get that way, because dealing with people oftentimes can be extremely interesting. And that's a nice way that can be a real drag, right? I, all of you know somebody, work with somebody, have a relative that comes to your Thanksgiving. I don't care who it is. There's somebody that annoys your socks off, right? Hopefully I'm not one of those. But I, <clears throat> there are people in our lives that we have a very difficult time dealing with. And if Paul keeps saying, or if the Lord keeps saying, we are to mingle with others, we're not to separate ourselves, we're not to, to uh, forbid the gathering together of ourselves, we are supposed to somehow mingle, not just in social situations, we are to mingle as a body of Christ. And that, I tell you, is a super challenge to contentment. The longer you've been, we've been in a lot of churches, some of them, you know, over the 50 years, I know I don't look that old, but we've been, we've been in a lot of churches, and we've gone through some real difficult times with some of those churches, because people get mixed up in things sometimes that they have absolutely no idea how to fix, and they, in a sense, are trying to ruin yours and my contentment. They can maybe make us unhappy. They can make things miserable for us sometimes, but they have no right, nor do they really have the power to take away our joy and our contentment. They can't do it. And you can stamp that in your Bible somewhere where you can put it on your refrigerator that no one can steal that from you. No one. Or from me. So we're not complacent. Paul says that he had to learn how to be this way. He wasn't born that way. We're not born believers. We are not born with the ability to do absolutely everything. We have to learn what we do. And that's the idea of growth. Growth in a Christian life, growth in your job, growth in your family comes from constant work. And so don't ever think that work is not important. Works as far as salvation, that's a whole other thing. Work as far as improving your life, making things better for you and your family, for your friends. <clears throat> that is something that the Bible does not in any way contradict. So, everything, Paul said, I had to learn it. It didn't come naturally. It wasn't instantaneous. It's a process, and even Paul, as, as high of a pedestal we put him on, he had to learn as a believer who came to Christ later in his life, had to learn how to live that Christian life, how to deal with people. And he, he sounded like kind of a fiery guy sometimes. He let people have it. <laughs> he didn't like hypocrisy. He didn't like anyone trying to steal the message of the gospel. He fought hard for that, and he maybe offended some people doing it, but he was a battler. He was a fighter. But he said he still had to learn it. Everything, either major or minor, was, was 
is under God's control, not his. Um, even good times are under God's control. Submission to him in, in trials. When you go through, how many of you, and I know if I, I should know the answer, but how many of you had to face trials in 2019? I'll be the first to raise my hand. It just happens. That's life. What does James say? James says, count it all joy, not happiness. <laughs> count it all joy when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. And when patience or endurance has its full effect, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James said this is a process. This is something that, first of all, it's a, a truth that, yes, trials will come. Trials is another word for testing. They're not temptation. They're testings. And in testing, according to James, this process should lead us to how to endure, how to be patient, and then how to be complete and someday perfect, but not, not until we go to be with him. But we will be continually learning how to be complete until the day he takes us away. So, not only are we to submit to the sovereignty of God, but in 12 to 14, verses 12 to 14, we are, contentment flows from trusting in the sufficiency of God. Sufficiency is just another fancy word. It's just an S word. It's a good one to throw in. But a sufficiency is just that our needs are met. Our needs are met. Not our greed, but our needs are met in Him. And contentment comes from understanding that. Can I face what Paul faced, for example? What did he face in verse 12? For I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound or to be brought high. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing both plenty and hunger, and I've learned how to face abundance and a tremendous need. Abundance on one side, need on the other. Can I face them both? Can I handle them both and still? This is the question to ask ourselves, and I ask you today. If, <clears throat> can I absolutely manage both sides of that? The abundance and need side, or the the excuse me, the plenty and hunger side. Can I handle that on either side of the fence and still remain content? And hopefully your answer is yes. There's a story that I want to read to you, the story. It's really funny. It'll wake you up if you're trying to go to sleep. Um, this was in Reader's Digest. Does anybody under the age of 30 remember Reader's Digest? <laughs> Attaboy. All right. We used to have to read things that were happening in the world in some book or in a newspaper, or we had no other choice to find out what was going on or to read stories about other people unless we looked at a book, which we still do with this one. We couldn't go anywhere else to find it. So in a Reader's Digest story, this man was sharing. He said, I read a story about a Jewish man in Hungary. Everybody know where Hungary is? It's not Hungary like you're hungry. Hungary's a country in Europe, okay? 
I read about a Jewish man in Hungary who went to his rabbi and complained, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. Oh, can you imagine? What can I do? The rabbi answered, take your goat into the room with you. <laughs> now, as a person who raises goats, I don't think that would be a very good idea. Anyway, the man was incredulous, but the rabbi insisted, do as I say and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned looking more distraught than before. We can't stand it, he told the rabbi. The goat is filthy. <laughs> the rabbi said, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned, radiant, exclaiming, life is beautiful. <laughs> we enjoy every minute of it now that there's only nine of us in one room. <laughs> Contentment is kind of a choice, don't you think? Sometimes God has to teach us things. The illustration of that just absolutely knocks my socks off because to complain at one time about not being content and being miserable and then to actually be content with the exact same circumstance. I don't know how many of you grew up in a room with nine people. Probably not too many of you. But people around the world still do that. They still live like that. So you see, there's, there's temptation on either side of the fence. God, God expects us, you know, in, what does he say in Matthew 6, 33? You know this from the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you, right? And that was an answer to when they were saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? How are we going to survive? Jesus says, those are questions that are only answered this way. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things, things, will be added unto you. And so, I am supposed to, and you are supposed to, somehow manage the thing that God does allow us to have. And the amount of possessions that we have, or the amount of money that we have, is not important to that principle. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich in between, a billionaire, it doesn't matter. The principle is still the same. If we seek God first, seek his kingdom first, and he used that word kingdom on purpose, seek the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God is made up of who? People. Oh, here we go, We're having to work with people again. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you, whether you're poor, rich, or in between. So, in other words, if you have a lot, <clears throat> if you are considered uh, wealthy is very fleeting. How, how do you define someone who is wealthy? You know, a billionaire wouldn't, wouldn't define somebody who makes $100,000 a year very wealthy. But wealthy is, is relative. In other words, <coughs> out of our wealth, when we face a need, can we still have needs even if we have a lot? Well, there's a good question for you. You have everything you need. You've got money in the bank. You've got food in your cupboards. You've got friends. You've got family. Your kids are okay. You still have needs. 
Absolutely, you have need. So the same attitude, whether we are abundant, as Paul says, or whether we are lacking, the same principle applies as to how we are to remain content in the Christian life. Sometimes having things is a pain in the rear end, right? The more you have, the more you're tied down to them. The more they control your life and my life. And they aren't meant to do that, but they do. So, if you have a lot, we still, when you sit down to pray, or we sit down to eat, you pray and you thank God for meeting that need of that meal, right? Knowing full well that there's more food in the cupboard, there's food in the freezer. But all that can change in a heartbeat, in a minute. And so we still, even if we have stuff, we still thank God every time we eat, every time we use it, every time we have a need before him. And so either side works. I remember I took a mission trip to Africa in 2007, and we went with a, a, a medical group and an education group. And of course, I'm not a doctor, so I was on the education side. But we dealt with families that came to clinics in these little bergs in Kenya, Africa, that needed medical attention. At the same time, they brought all their children. And so we would try to occupy their children <coughs> while they were getting uh, treated for their medical problems. And they loved sports. And so they had, I remember in one village, they had two balls. But these balls were made out of hundreds and hundreds of old bread bags, plastic bread bags, all woven and tied together to finally come up with a, a ball of plastic, okay, that they would use for their soccer playing. They were just happy as can be. And so, obviously, <clears throat> we had been given money to spend on these kids. And so we went to a local store miles away and bought a whole bunch of soccer balls and brought them back to these kids. And oh my gosh, you'd have thought you'd have given them a million dollars because they had a real ball to play with. So it doesn't matter whether we, are in, whether we are on this poor side or whether we're on this middle class side, this rich side, whatever. There are things that, that pop up in our lives that cause us to be totally dependent upon someone else or obviously on God himself, right? If we forget that, we are in trouble. There's a very popular verse in verse 13. You've heard this verse. Paul says it's taken out of, I don't think it's taken out of context very often, but it comes out of this context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've all heard it, right? But it's, it's kind of a two-part thing. I can do all things. And the, literally, the, the word that's used there is, is in, not through Christ. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. So my part, there's two parts to this. There's God's part and there's my part. My part is I can do all things. I can do all things. But God's part, it says, in him, in Christ, we can do all things. Well, that's not some miraculous thing that you put on, on your refrigerator or whatever, that you can do anything. But we, obviously we can't do everything. But what we can do 
as a believer. Now, what, what happens when you, when you all of a sudden turn from an unbeliever to a believer, what happens to you? Your whole world changes. Your whole worldview changes. You look at people in a whole different ma manner or way. They look different to you. They act different. And what they say, you pay attention to now because you're looking at it through somebody else's eyes. And when he says, Paul says, in prison again, about possibly to be executed, which he was not, fortunately, but and totally confined, he could say, not only do I not have, I'm, I'm content, but he could also say, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. <laughs> that in itself is a miracle. There's another thing I want to read to you as we close today. <clears throat> and while you'd be happy, I'm only doing like 40 minutes, so you should be glad. Okay. <laughs> Notice, or Paul says that he had learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. That secret is stated in verse 13. I can do all things in him who continually infuses me with strength. The all-sufficient indwelling Christ can lean on him in every situation, no matter how, how trying. Since Christ cannot be taken from the believer, we can lean on him at any time. And then he says, notice that there is a need to learn not only how to get along in times of need, but also how to live with abundance. In times of need, we're tempted to get our eyes off the Lord and grow worried. We've all been there, right? That's when we need a trusting heart. But in times of abundance, we're tempted to forget our need for the Lord and trust in our supplies rather than in Him. That's when we need a thankful heart that daily acknowledges gratitude for His provision, thanking God for our daily bread, even when we've got enough in the bank for many days' bread keeps us humbly trusting in him in times of abundance. This passage to me just illuminates, just shines a, a bright light on what it really means to be satisfied and content as a believer. We all went through trials in 2019, and you're going to have trials in 2020. But my, my prayer for 2020 is that we have a clear vision of what we collectively and what we individually are supposed to be doing. We live in a country. I thank God for my country all the time, and you should too. But there are problems. There are issues. There are there's anti-Christian sentiment. There's anti-Jewish sentiment. There's things that are growing that you and I don't like. But what happens in those sort of situations, if we have been so mesmerized, I guess, as I've grown up in this country for 70-some years, if I become mesmerized with the fact that what a wonderful and what a country that has no problems, I, mean, I, I figured growing up that... I was so lucky to live here. 
But as challenges come and as people begin to change and as they, they share opinions that you go, oh my gosh, where did you come up with that? You then begin to kind of dig down a little bit deeper and see where are your roots? What are the roots in this place in which you live? What are the temptations that we have to abuse it and to use it wrongly? The Christian life is the same thing. No matter where, you can be a Christian in any country, it doesn't matter. In some countries, it's a little more difficult to be a believer, but a person can become a Christian anywhere and can have that same, whether you're in, in Iran or Iraq, which has been rather hot this week, whether you're in America, whether you're in China or Russia or Europe, anywhere else in the world, South America, you can have. Anyone can have the contentment that Paul was talking about. Because he lived in a hostile environment. And sometimes in a hostile environment, we get this energy, we get, we get energized to stand up for what we know is right. And Paul says, it, happiness and everything else is fleeting. It can go at any time. Your cupboards can be bare tomorrow. Tribulation could start in a, or bad times in a, in a country could start and people would be starving and all, the, all these things can happen because of what men can do to each other. Yet that contentment can still be there. We may not be walking around with smiles on our faces all the time, but we have this assurance this inner peace, that contentment that comes only from serving a God that we know never changes, never stops caring about me, and will always, always somehow meet my needs. So, I don't know what you went through this year. Could be some serious stuff. Could be some physical stuff. Could be some some spiritual warfare, could be some relatives that are driving you absolutely up a wall. But there's an answer to each and every one of those issues, be they minor or major. God can grant you peace in the midst of turmoil. What did Jesus say? He said, peace I leave with you, peace I give unto you. But not the peace that the world gives. I give you my peace. You know, if we were all givers, we would also all be receivers. You ever thought of that? If you haven't had the joy of giving, you may have had the joy of receiving. But I tell you, if everybody had, some people have the gift of giving. I know that's a spiritual gift. But we are, we are entreated constantly to always think about the needs of somebody else, right? So if we were all givers in that way, and that's not just money, I'm not just talking about money, if we were givers in every single way, we would all be blessed receivers as well. And to be on one side or the other takes just as much faith and just as much endurance as the other. To be a good giver and a good receiver is to be a contented believer. So, as we 
I want to close in prayer, but as we do every Sunday when we close, we take communion together. It's a family affair. It's something that we do not just as a command. We do it because we want to remember what his son did for us. And so when you come forward today to do that, I want you to be thinking, if you would, about all the things that that maybe are swimming around your head from last year and just whatever those are, some of them may be still lingering into 2020. Pray about those. There'll be people on your, on your left and my right. In the middle would be someone where you could come by yourself. In the back, we will have somebody there as well. If you, if you need prayer, then you go to that person before you take communion and you pray about whatever need that is. If you don't know Jesus, then today's the day to do it. Today, there's, today, Paul says, is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, today. So if you've never trusted in him as your Savior, then today is the best day to do it. What a way to start out 2020. If you have any questions about that, see any one of us here. We'll be glad to talk to you about it. So let's close in prayer. We want to thank God for what he's doing. We want to thank God for our church. We want to thank God for what he's going to do, not only what he's done, but what he's going to do this year for us. And we will be (laughs) good receivers. So stand with me, would you? And let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you this morning for your love for us. I thank you so much for your word that we can still pick up and read as a book and learn from. We thank you, Father, that even Paul had to learn some things, had to learn how to be content. And Father, we want that so desperately in our lives. The blessings that you give us are are really a bonus. But what is really critical is where we are with you and how content and excited we are to be part of your family and to be one that you love and we've given our heart over to you. We submit to you and we know that our sufficiency comes from you. Thank you for your son. Thank you, Father, as we remember the broken body and shed blood of Christ today. Be with us in a special way. And as we go from this place today, Father, I'd ask that you would bless us in a most special way as we look forward to what this new year will bring. Thank you for those here. Thank you for the hearts that are here that love you and are content with what you're doing in their lives. Help us to help others this year. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.